We're in a sermon series about the prophet Jeremiah who brought God's message to the people of Judah during a time of incredible turbulence. National powers possessing more wealth and territory than Judah surrounded it and coveted it because Judah occupied a small but strategically significant area that was a crossroads between Egypt, North Africa and the Near East. Judah's kings were constantly engaged in a tricky business. They were trying to make alliances with a neighboring nation who would grant them a measure of autonomy while at the same time giving them some protection against another neighbor without making that other neighbor too angry. That strategy hadn't worked for the northern kingdom of Israel and during Jeremiah's long prophetic ministry, it became increasingly and devastatingly clear that it wouldn't work for the kingdom of Judah either. Of course, during this time frame, if most of the succession of kings and priests had been asked, how are things going for Judah? They would have heard a litany of complaints and worries about dealing with external threats from more powerful neighbors. On the face of it, they weren't wrong. But Jeremiah was given the task to announce on God's behalf an entirely different interpretation of events, one that focused on the internal, spiritual, and moral condition of the people, of the kings, the priests, the people. The people of God had been weakened from within, and that is why their enemies might someday someday prevail over them. Let's be clear, no one likes to hear that they brought their problems on themselves. It's the most natural thing in the world to look for external sources to blame when things don't go well. Did you know, for example, that I write my sermons late on Saturday night because my husband is so distracting during the rest of the week? Three weeks of the month, he hardly pays attention to me, and then the one week I have to write a sermon. He's so interesting. I hope he gets that under control soon. You think I should plan my week better? Yeah, get out of here. Delivering a message on God's behalf made Jeremiah extremely unpopular with many, and some were so threatened by his words that they plotted for his life. But God gave Jeremiah clarity and focus on the message he was to deliver by giving him vivid object lessons of many kinds. And today, we'll think about the word that God gave to Jeremiah after he sent him down to a potter's house to watch the potter's creative process. I'm really grateful to David Smallars for giving us an example of the art of creating pottery. Uh, with the technique of throwing clay on a potting wheel. He was using a technique and tools much like what would have been practiced in Jeremiah's day. Probably the only significant difference is that there is a motor powering the spinning wheel, which creates a very even and rhythmic centrifugal force to work on the clay. An ancient potter would have been shaping the clay primarily with one hand while the other kept the wheels spinning, or he would have been using a foot to kick a flywheel 
attached to the same axle to make it spin. When God told Jeremiah to, to go watch a potter, he would have seen something like what we saw with one exception, which we'll think about in a moment. But first, I want you to realize that though it looks like we watched a pot being created before our eyes in just minutes, this is by no means the entire process of creating a usable pot. Clay has to be uh, kneaded on a slightly damp surface to get it to the right moisture content and malleability. If it's a mixture of different types of clay, it may need extra handling in order to stay cohesive. And then it has to be what they call wedged, kneaded, slammed, uh, to get out any air bubbles, which could cause problems for the pot at several stages. After it comes off the potter's wheel, it has to air dry for several days so that it uniformly sheds more of its moisture. And finally, the pot has to be fired in a kiln, baked at the proper temperature for the correct length of time, and then its surface will be non-permeable so that it can hold grains or carry liquids, things so absolutely useful to civilization. Eugene Peterson, the, the translator of the message, uh, invites us to imagine how different life would be if we had no containers in which to store anything. Life, he says, would be reduced to what we could manage in a single day with what we could hold in our hands at one time. Pottery made it possible for communities to develop as life was extended beyond the immediate and the urgent. The pot-making God invited Jeremiah to observe not just an object lesson, but also a metaphor. Pots symbolize our capacity to plan, which gives us the possibility to seek meaning, to make goals, to have a history to tell. While Jeremiah watched the potter so long ago, the first result of the clay, the spinning wheel, and the potter's hands was a spoiled vessel. It became more than a lump of clay, because it, it does get called a pot or a vessel, but it likely was misshapen, not balanced. And a misshapen pot will not be terribly useful. It can easily tip and fall. One wouldn't be able to fill it to capacity, and all the materials and labor that have gone into collecting the clay, purifying it, throwing the pot, and firing it would have been either wasted or less useful. But fortunately, with the addition of a bit of water, at this stage, the clay can be reused. And so the potter reworked the clay, began again, and made the vessel right. Now, I tried to get uh, Dave to uh, you know, make a spoiled pot, but he apologized and said he just really couldn't bring himself to do it. I suspect it's because, as I learned more about the process of throwing pots, it's a very um, physical process. I imagine that during the long period of time in which it takes to become a skilled practitioner, as Dave is, you develop a body memory for all of the things that you have to do to make it work right. It's actually quite complicated. 
If I were to ask you, um, someone who's a lifelong cyclist, to uh, demonstrate riding your bike and getting uneven and falling off, you might have a great deal of difficulty doing it, and that's what I suspect was going on with Dave. It wasn't that easy to make the, a pot wrong. I think it's also pretty difficult, if not impossible, to rework a spoiled pot without taking it almost back to the beginning of the process. In this case, reworking a spoiled pot will take it down to its foundations, almost back to the lump of clay. And at that point, the creative process will look somewhat destructive. After jo Jeremiah saw all that, God gave him the interpretation. God, who called a people into covenant relationship and shaped them as a nation for a purpose, that they live with righteousness and justice and thereby prosper, experience blessing, and in turn bless others. That God also promised them a living, guiding relationship to help them fulfill their purpose. And if they turned from or neglected their purpose, they had a choice to amend their ways and be reshaped to the purpose for which they were created, or failing to do so, to be left to their own devices while God chooses to work those purposes through other nations. God is almost at that, at the point, uh, when he calls Jeremiah to look at the pottery, he's almost at the point of deciding to use other nations to bring Judah down to its foundations. But still, God invites the people to amend their ways so God can start helping them rebuild their society on the right foundations. It is a stunning assertion that God works in history. How would we describe it? Uh, alongside human decisions, but shaping large events. But it's also a beautiful affirmation that God honors room for human freedom and choice, for second chances, for partnership with God. To the extent that God seeing God's people seeking to change and do what is good, just, and faithful, God will change course, give another chance, and start again. I think it's such a helpful lesson to ponder on today that at any moment in time, sometimes a creative process looks destructive. In individual cases, we can maybe uh, see how that plays itself out. I <clears throat> probably, like you, have heard people who um, have described their process of uh, life as bringing them to a place where they had to bottom out before they decided that they needed to deal with really deep underlying conditions of their lives, addictions that were making many aspects of their life unhelpful, unhealthy. Bottoming out in that way is a chance to start again. 
<clears throat> Most churches are really uh, pretty well uh, set in their ways and, and a little bit resistant to change because the way they've been doing things has, after all, been for good intentions and good reasons and has good support. But one <clears throat> congregation that I served had really been through an awful lot of hard times when many of the basic things that they counted on were no longer in place. Going in there, I found that people were amazingly open to trying new things. Why? Because they'd had a little bit of a clearing out and realized they needed to come at things a little differently. And it was delightful to work together on that. <clears throat> I think it's a helpful lesson for us to ponder. It's not a lesson, it's an image for us to ponder today when we think about this time in our world's history, in our nation's history. It's been a more sober July 5th, uh, July 4th weekend than I've seen for quite a long time. We still do remember that we're celebrating the signing of a document that said all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It has a God affirmation in it. And that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. But all around us, there are signs that things are kind of in a process of being taken down, statues coming down. We are trying to reinterpret who we are, what our story is, how do we tell the story of who we are in a way that honors and includes the significant labors unpaid enslaved that helped to build this nation and the lands of the peoples we took. People who still are here now. How do we come to terms with telling our story honestly but in a way that honors and includes all people? That's a foundational question, important. In some ways, the earth itself is calling out for us to be raising foundational questions about our relationship and the way we think of our environment, the earth that sustains us. Can we treat it as mere physical material to be taken up and thrown out? Or do we do that at the peril of ourselves and future generations? Fundamental questions. When we think about the rights of all people and we look at how interconnected our health is, is health care a fundamental right? Do we need to ask that question again? And you could think of many others. In a way, we are at a time in which maybe we are being brought down to new foundations with a new opportunity to build something better. So what, what advice would, what can we glean from this passage that 
people of faith, that Christians might do? How might we posture ourselves in this world today, in this complex, bewildering environment? Well, a couple things I think are suggested. Um, it might be easy to say, well, we need to get back to God as I see it, and um, we might think we would take a theocratic answer, but I do not believe that's what's suggested by Jeremiah. It's not about being more religious. The people in Jeremiah's day had lots of religious interest. It just didn't go very deep, and it wasn't sincere. But what we can find out is what it means to be willing to be reworked. I uh, have been convicted about the need, uh, as I know many others, uh, John and I have had conversations, many others have, to learn how to be an anti-racist. And as a little part of that journey, I read a, a book, and I'm just going to share one, one insight that was really helpful to me from that book called White Fragility. It was written by a woman, a white woman, who is a diversity trainer and has been doing it for decades all around the country. And she said that one of the things that she found most, uh, the most significant reason that it was difficult to have constructive conversations about race is that white people uh, at this point in time believe that it is uh, bad to be a racist. And that because of that anxiety about not being bad, not being seen to be bad, not seeing oneself as bad, that uh, we enter every conversation with a great deal of defensiveness and concern to justify ourselves. And entering conversations on that basis makes it so difficult to have an, e an exchange and to listen well. So part of, of being reworked, and, and a message I think that we Christians need to live out as our leavening in this world, in this society, is that it's not most important to defend what you think has been right or to defend positions you have previously taken. What is most important is to be willing to move on towards something better. Christians have a benefit in this. We have never believed that we are saved because we're so good because our intentions were so right, or because we never did anything that bad. We firmly believe that we are saved by God's good graces, by God's mercy, by God's reaching out to us to make a way for us to be acceptable in God's presence. And thereby, by the very definition, we're committed to being people who are willing to be reworked. Did you notice in the process of the potting how many times Dave dipped his hands in to get a little bit of water and splash it on the clay? 
It was that little bit of water, not too much. If it's too much, the walls become weak. But just the right amount of water kept the clay malleable and able to be worked with. When he was doing that, I saw in my mind's eye, now I usually take a cup like this, but John does this sprinkle thing with the, the water. And I picture baptism water. Baptismal water is a recognition, a sign, a remembrance that we're brought into God's presence by God's grace. So, Christians, we can be leavening in this world by modeling gracious listening, humble willingness to rethink our own way of thinking. What else? Jeremiah's example reassures us that God has a good purpose for human society and that even though things may look like God has checked out, God still has a purpose for us. And even if it doesn't look exactly like we can tell where it's going, we can trust that God is at work even in the midst of processes that seem a little destructive. Holding that faith in our lives, in our conversations, is an important leavening in this world. One more thing. When you go down to the foundations to fix things, it doesn't happen fast. We can resist quick, easy solutions and smart, quick answers that draw lines between people. We can trust that there may be more to any given story than we can articulate and listen graciously. Did you notice in the story of Jeremiah looking at the potter that God never had that potter put the pot in the oven to fire it, which would have meant the process could not be reversed. The pot could only then be broken. It could not be reworked. I invite us to think about in this turbulent time not turning up the heat in conversations, in the way we think about people who don't see things the way we do. And I'm not talking about not standing up for what is right, but don't turn up the heat higher than you have to to make your point. One of the most important things that a potter does while the world is spinning, spinning, spinning to help shape a pot well is to hold their hand firmly and just gently bring a boundary and shape into the process of creating the pot. God has put us in bewildering, amazing times. But let us, as people of faith, believe and trust that God is still working out good purposes, that God can work through us 
and that God calls us to be gracious with others, just as we know God's grace has been so evident to us. May it be so.